This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the OBEHAVE podcast. I am your host, Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. And today, today we have a return guest, Sho Arriva, um, Dr. Sho, who is going to be talking to us about uh, behavior analysis and art, or rather art and behavior analysis. Welcome, Sho. Hey, thank you for having me back. I'm it's, happy to be here. A real pleasure. I'm so glad to have you back. I, I've been missing our conversation. So this is great. Yeah, definitely. Well, show uh, for those folks who haven't heard the other podcasts um, that you and I recorded together, would you be willing to do a quick introdu- introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, I'm Shaw Araiba, S-H-O-A-R-A-I-B-A. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I have a PhD in psychology uh, specialized in behavior analysis from uh, City University of New York. I am a Japanese behaviorist and I have a YouTube channel under my name. And my interest is to make uh, contents related to art, entertainment, and behaviorism. Fantastic. And uh, folks, if, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out some of the stuff that show has done, I highly recommend checking it out because it's the analysis is fantastic. I, I love the way that show brings in um, different cultural references, including uh, not only pop culture, but nerd culture and um, entertainment and like really there there's there's no limit to the the things that show talks about and it's it's very insightful and worth listening and uh watching so please check it out and i'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so that way you can find it uh very easily um but today's show the the reason why um you were invited back is you you shared about how one of your youtube video series was turned into a paper and was published in a behavior analysis journal in Brazil. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? 
So um, yeah, I was happy because um, the editor of this journal called um, Perspectives in Behavior Analysis, which is a Brazilian journal. So it has a Brazilian uh, name for the journal, but uh, he, uh, Marcelo is his name. And he's, he saw my video on um, the analysis of Ghost in the Shell from the behaviorist point of view. The Ghost in the Shell is an anime uh, film uh, <clears throat> created by uh, Mamoru Oshii in 1995. And he said to me, why don't you write that up as a paper and try submitting to his journal? And I said, oh, that's gonna be amazing because you know, like it's a dream <laughs> to publish something like that in behavior analytic journal. You know, you don't really see that often. So that's how it happened. Yeah, it's really exciting. That is. Um, and folks, just so you know, like the, the recent adaptation of the, the film Ghost and uh, I believe anime series as well, Ghost in the Shell in the US um, and worldwide, I think it starred Scarlett Johansson. Um, oh yeah. It, it, it was it's okay. It, it, was, it was a pretty decent adaptation. <laughs> I, I felt like they did, they yeah. did try. Um, but, but I will mm -hmm. say that the, from what I was uh, able to enjoy of the series, it, it very fascinating and interesting, um, questions. And I don't really want to spoil any of the story, but at the same time that the premise is pretty straightforward. Um, I believe it's mm -hmm. the, uh, the question of where does one's humanity end and machine begin um and and kind of those those sorts of questions i don't remember all the details about the show but if you wanted to give us a quick summary of it and and your paper in relation to that i would love to to hear your thoughts on it yeah so yeah definitely so ghost in the shell is a sci-fi story where the you know um characters live in the future future japan where people are cyber, um, people are becoming a cyborg. And so, you know, they, they, their body parts are part uh, biological and part mechanical. And that's a very interesting uh, setting, sci-fi setting for us, like psychologists, behaviorists, and philosophers, because when you start becoming, when you start mixing, you know, machines with human bodies, where is the limit? And what happens if every part of your body can be replaced with mechanical devices, including, including the brain, right? So technically, you know, um, theoretically, you can actually do that because all you have to do is to figure out all the structure of the brain and all the mechanics of the brain and you just replace with another um, material. You know, that's pretty much what you have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, some people, you know, it's, it, it, some people even speculate that you can actually download your uh, brain into the computer in, by the same token, right? So, ghost in the shell, deals with that idea 
especially in the 1995 film version. You know, the one that we talked about with the Scarlett Johansson in uh, 2017, which doesn't really get into that, Uh which is a problem in my opinion. (laughs) You know, I made a video about it and I was like, "Eh, you know, it's actually spectacular when you actually see the visual effects, but mm-hmm. it doesn't get into that philosophical um, part, which is what I was interested in and what I wrote wrote in the in this paper. So, so, so that's the question the ghost in the shell asks, and and that's where behaviorism can interact. Yeah, because. Uh one of the premises, uh, foundational premises of behaviorism is we learn through consequences, like our external stimuli influences and affects our behavior. And this is where behaviorism came about before neuroscience really got a good kickoff because we were still learning, but behaviorism was describing what we saw and neuroscience and behaviorism play very well together. Um, in fact, behaviorism frequently is doing a fantastic job of describing the effects of, of neuroscience and, and the neuroscience is doing a wonderful job of explaining what is happening that, that, that explains the effects of behaviorism. And so it, it, it's a beautiful interplay between the two and it allows for us to be able to have a better, more finite view of our, our, our world. Um, and it, I believe that neuroscience has done a wonderful job of proving BF Skinner right. When he said <laughs> <laughs> that thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, those are behaviors. So that's, that, that was the, the, the split. Be, that's what made radical behaviors radical was the argument that methodological behaviors were not correct in saying the only thing that can be counted as a behavior is what you can observe. Um, And so BF argued that internal experiences uh, count as behavior. And now, thanks to advancements in modern science and functional MRIs and in being able to measure brain waves and, and all these different things, we now have external verifiable evidence that those internal events are indeed something that is occurring. And, and we just continue moving forward with science. And um, I'm really fascinated by the Starlink project. I believe that that's something that Elon Musk is, is backing hmm. where the ability to um, program and uh, computers to recognize the brain signals with a chip that's in the brain to be able to wirelessly or rather controlling through your own synaptic signals or brain waves, the movement of a mouse on a screen. And they've successfully done that with, I think a monkey and um, where basically what they did is they had the chip in the monkey's brain and, and the monkey was moving a mouse around on a screen and basically playing a basic game to receive reinforcement rewards for doing that. And they were, taking that signal and, and reducing or further discriminating what the, what the different brain waves or, or synaptic signals, I'm not fully understanding. So if you know more about this than me, I'm so sorry, dear audience. Um, but they were able to, to isolate what those signals are 
and then to kind of create a double blind effect they disconnected the mouse uh so that that there was no wire going to it and and the monkey was still moving the mouse but it wasn't actually moving the cursor on the screen but the cursor Mm -hmm. still moved due to the monkey Uh thinking and moving so like we're we're moving forward to the point where the possibility of of that future where ghosts in the shell uh like things could be possible and and likewise uh, we were talking about uh, isekai and, and lit RPGs off screen before we started, just like this sci-fi approach to things where sci-fi is becoming reality. Um, and, and I know when you and I were both kids, like, like you know, the, the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis were, were like, whoa, we're living in sci-fi times. And now we've got, <laughs> yeah, we've got computers that are incredibly powerful sitting in our pockets and we can reach across continents and do a video call and record it and like we are living in sci-fi times but then that philosophical question of like where does me begin and end and where does something that is not me begin and end? right right yeah i think that's really the question that the ghost in the shell in particular asks because okay so when you when you replace your arm to a cybernetic arm mm-hmm. okay so that's is that your arm or is that somebody else's arm it's that that itself is not such a big deal right because right now you know people who have cybernetic arm and legs and you know let's say organs too right like you, you actually um you can change you know exchange kidneys mm-hmm. and then that doesn't really affect our sense of personality but you in the fear in the in the world of both the shell they start doing that with the brain and that that's a very interesting uh, thought because okay but once you start playing with the brain let's say you play with the memory now you can kind of like a create fake memory and install it in your brain or you can sort of uh, you know in our behavior analytic term we can probably you know uh, make the brain so that the conditioning as if conditioning happened, even though there was no actual conditioning, right? So you can just wire the brain to the point that, you know, you can make the dog aversive or reinforcing without really having you go through it as as an organism, right? So once you start doing that, where, who are you at that point, right? (laughs) You install a fake memory. Let's say I'm a Japanese. I grew up in Japan. I came to the US. But let's erase that memory and then um, install as if I were a Russian, right? And then what happens to me as a as a you know as a self? Yeah. Right. And that's the question the um, the ghost in the shell asks. And that's the question, you know, like you said, BF Skinner and other behaviorists in the past also sort of responded in a way that, well, 
your behavior, each of your behavior is actually uh, caused by the antecedents in the environment. Uh So if that's the case, where is yourself, right? Because, okay, you respond in a certain way when you talk to mom, you respond in a certain way when you talk to dad, which is different from when you talk to your teacher, which is different from your, when you talk to your client, right? And, and if that's the case, you're, all, you're behaving differently uh, uh, to different people. Now, who are you? Right. Yeah. And then, you know, and so behaviors kind of have that idea that, well, personality is really a kind of a um, myth, you know, it's a kind of like a concept that you develop without really um, uh, having a basic um, core, right? Mm. So behaviors has that idea. Self is a kind of like a concept which you develop based on how you are. And then, but those, but that self is, doesn't have a core in, in your brain or something like that. And the ghost in the shell, well, the title of the, of the film, you know, ghost means that there's some kind of a core of personality that's in you and that's who you are, right? Yeah. And, and so that's, so that's the, so the, so that's what they are going to, uh, they're, they're in the film, they, this, this um, protagonist called Motoko Kusanagi, she deals with that idea that, oh, who am I? How to find who I am, how to um, prove that I am who I am, and and she goes into that, you know, kind of like a maze. And so, and that's a very interesting um, thing, you know, philosophically. Yeah, and and it's it's not just a a abstract thought process either, because this question comes up in some respects frequently for anybody who's dealt with traumatic brain injury. Um, mm-hmm. And like the most famous case is, is the curious air quotes here, curious case of Phineas Gage where um, uh, 1848 railway worker worker. I looked this up by the way. So no, my memory is not this great uh, <laughs> railway worker. You don't have to, nobody's going to know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to, I don't want to give people false expectations on my memory, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, this railway worker, he went, he had an accident where a 13 pound iron bar went through his head, but he survived it. Mm-hmm. And it, it yeah. damaged a part of his brain and, and literally changed his personality. Like, the a person who previously was known for being just very patient and calm had some pretty interesting anger issues um and and like he was like psychologists and and physicians at the time were fascinated by what was going on with him and you know it's very sad how things ended up for him but that does give us that case and other cases of traumatic brain injury help us to understand. And it takes us out of a, a time frame and a thought process where 
you know, people used to say things like, well, they have a demon or, you know, the devil is controlling them or whatever explanation somebody comes up with for it to, to one of better understanding. And the same thing goes for um, understanding things, neurological disorders like schizophrenia, um, where our understanding is improving with this. And this is generally outside the realm of where behavior analysts work, but at the same time, there are behavior analysts who specialize in working with traumatic brain injury and schizophrenia and things like this, where we're working with other scientists to address and, and help with these areas in, in practical application. Yet it's not just the practical application because a, a, one of the things that I'm passionate about, and I know you're passionate about show is, is the value of story and fiction and storytelling in influencing behavior and how art and behaviorism interplay with each other. Um, uh, isekai, which is a, a, a form of anime that focuses on basically um, uh, a, a character or a, a being transported either into a world that has game-like characteristics or is in a, uh, in a game that seems as close to reality as possible. Uh, a very popular show that's an example of this is Sword Art Online, although that's not the only one. Um, but uh, that asks similar questions because it's, it's like, what is the nature of who we are? And then another form of fiction that I'm really enjoying called Lit RPGs, which is kind of a, I don't know which came first. Um, I think that they influenced each other, but Lit RPGs um, ask a very similar question where, you know, maybe the player is in a world that's so close to reality that, it, it, it boggles the mind that it is almost reality or vice versa. Maybe the world has been changed in such a way that the mechanics that are game-like appear. But in either case, these questions keep popping up over and over again in story. Where do I start and my, where does my environment begin and vice versa? And that's a driving question for I think humanity, what makes me me? And yep. I feel like behaviorism should be weighing in on this. And mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that that we've we've seen the dark side of behaviorism pop up in in popular fiction. Uh, I believe you mentioned clock, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what was the other what was the other one that that you mentioned? Um, Nineteen eighty four. 1984. Brave yeah. New World. Brave New World. Yeah. That's right. So we've seen the dark side application in fiction, but we don't frequently see like what are the possibilities on on the other side of it. And I feel like the dark side of behaviorism should be explored because mm -hmm. that's <laughs> we need to we need to be aware of the 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 danger of of hubris of of being too willing to alter somebody else's environment for harm but but what are what of the other things and i think that's where relational frame theory that's um a, a continuation of bf skinner's verbal operants comes in um that's that's yeah, where definitely. i yeah that that ex, that sort of exploration what are your thoughts on that sorry i, I was that's really well, broad <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's got a lot of uh things um 
I, you know, I think, yeah. So let's see. I think what's, what's interesting to me, like you said, is how we can take behavior analysis and behaviorism as a philosophy into some storytelling uh, format or mm. something that inspires um, uh, fiction, because that's what I'm interested mainly. Well, one reason why is because it's really exciting, right? Because so far we have, like you said, you know, th there are those bad, bad or you know, negative approaches to uh, behavioristic, although it's actually misunderstood uh, ideas about behaviorism mm, yeah. that made into literature, you know, 1984, uh, Brave New World, um, uh, the Clockwork Orange, they all use somewhat, um, somewhat misunderstood way of Pavlovian conditioning. So like they're like, you know, using Pavlovian conditioning as a kind of like an aversive control to change the behaviors and the thoughts of the characters. You know, in, you know if you remember uh, Clockwork Orange, the protagonist was a very violent person, and what the you know what these uh, doctors did was to uh, condition so that when he thinks about uh, violence or when he tries to engage in violent behavior, that is paired with a aversive uh, stimuli something like that right and so like every, so that was kind of like a behavior quote-unquote behavior modification yeah uh, you know which which we know that it doesn't really work that way but uh there's a good paper by uh, newman which i cited in my uh article uh talks about the actual um um uh, uh misunderstanding of the use of hyperbian conditioning in those literature okay but so that, but that's there. And the question, so that's, you know, it's a bad way, but it inspired some artists to develop some kind of, uh, you know, mostly it's mostly sci-fi, but, you mm -hmm. know, some kind of art, right? And nowadays, because thanks to ABA, actually, that's also, you know, the conception I mean, mostly, not everybody, but most, you know, it's changing so that the behaviorism is actually becoming positive, you know. Mm. And, and that, I think, is a really good um, trend because nowadays a lot of people are familiar with ABA and most of them have a positive um, uh, reaction to it. And... Uh, we as a practitioner, we as the um, uh, academics, we have we as uh, uh, consumers, they started making art based on ABA, behavior analysis, and behaviorism. You know, I mean, you are making podcasts, which is a form of art and entertainment. You know, uh, a lot of YouTube has you know the videos like the Daily BA. Um, we have the Facebook. 
uh, group called the uh, creatives of BA, you know, the behavior man, you got, you have some memes going on and a lot of other people are making behavior analytic videos and, and uh, podcasts and all that going on. And that's actually amazing because mm. that, that's a completely new movement. And we are focusing on the positive, uh, positive sides of behaviorism. And so as a movement, it's really cool. Uh, it's very exciting and you know I, I just think it's going to be more and more like that you know and I'm, I'm happy that I'm a part of it and you know like you said uh, and yeah so that's kind of like and there are two aspects to it one is that people make behavior analytic contents right so mm-hmm. like you know you your podcast is talking about ABA, talking about behavior analysis, talking about applications of that, you know, we are talking about uh, how to apply behavior analytic thinking to entertainment and movies and anime. Another thing that I think we, we can do and I'm trying to do is, can we actually make behavior analytic art? Yeah, and that's that's something I'm very interested. I'm trying to do. I try to do it um, in my writing. You know, I published two essays um, based on the ideas of uh, behaviorism. So it's not like I'm analyzing something based on behaviorism. You know, I did that. I do that too in my YouTube channel. Like you know, I analyzed the Queen's Gambit from the behavior analytic point of view. Uh-huh. But that's that's like uh, the Queen's Gambit is there and I just apply behavior analytic thinking on that Queen's Gambit. But the other side is, oh, can we make the Queen's Gambit or something like that based on behavior analytic um, worldview? Well, and I feel like there are some components of behaviorism, whether they're coming from behaviorism or positive psychology um that are that are creeping into popular fiction um uh, a, a less known example although i really want these authors to be well known uh is the cultivation fiction uh series the divine dungeon series um and specifically the there's a spin-off series called arturian's archives so that's a subgenre of lit rpgs uh cultivation fiction the premise is taking things from ex- outside of yourself and and leveling yourself up. And in Artorian's archives, um, the authors, um, Dennis Vanderkirken and Dakota Kraut wrote a beautiful, perfect example of what acceptance commitment therapy slash training would look like in a fictional Mm -hmm. setting. And they also understand whether they're saying it in behavior analytic terms or not, they understand the concepts of external environment influencing internal behavior. And I just finished the latest Mm -hmm. book in the series and the question of what makes a person good or evil and what makes it so that someone can be saved or not comes up. And Arturian, the character does a beautiful job of explaining his rationale behind why he makes the decisions that he makes. Um, as a character and as a storyteller. So 
Um, turns out Dennis Vanderkirken is has a PhD in applied ethics. <laughs> and, and and that's the reason wow. why. And I interviewed him in the Act Natural podcast. So go check out that episode uh, if you want to learn more about it. But um, but like that, those premise, those ideas that behaviorism talks about and explores are, are showing up in other forms of fiction and and similar ideas are, 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 are connecting with them. And likewise, another very popular piece of fiction that I would say fits beautifully into that, that realm of like behavior analytic without being behavior analytic is um, the Avatar The Last Airbender series. Because we see uh, Soku, the character, going through this development arc where his external environment is influencing his behaviors. And in so many pieces of fiction, we see this kind of black and white, you are evil or you are good. And the villain is just so one-dimensional and boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... and um, and there's no understanding of how the environment affects or how um, how there, there's more going on than just this and that maybe the villain doesn't perceive themselves as being this evil being. <laughs> I love doing awful things uh, yeah. type thing. And, and there's th th that lack of, of really truly understanding behavior and motivation. Um, but like it's starting to occur more and more in fiction and I say Avatar Last Airbender is a beautiful, perfect example of that, although I'm, it's definitely not by itself in that. So if, I, if you're thinking of something else, good, <laughs> share it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, the idea being that like our environment influences our behavior and that one can change their behavior uh, and, and disproving the, the, at least in the English language adage, the old dog can't learn new tricks. Um, I'm sure there's other versions of that out there in other languages, but like, no, we, we can learn new tricks and our environment is a big factor in our, in our learning. And I want to see more of that in fiction. I want to see more of this. You're not like, yes, you are kind of a victim of your environment, but at the same time, you can alter your environment. So that way you have the ability to, to change yourself and your environment. Yeah, you know, I think when, uh, you know, behaviorism really came to become a, um, a concrete uh, way of thinking, it was really, it was, it's really uh, revolutionary in mm. its thinking because, I mean, it's kind of like a crazy to say that, you know, uh, thoughts are behavior, um, you know, language is just a behavior. Uh, you know, private event is really um, nothing more than behavior. There's no consciousness as we know it, right? So those are really very difficult way of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, self, self is just a concept. It is not a real thing. You know, that's really hard to think, right? Environment, uh, influences behavior that's really crazy to think about so those are like a really revolutionary way of thinking and it's really it's still to me it's still revolutionary and you know we are we're in a way a kind of like a um uh revolution revolutionary 
army, you know, trying to question the authority. And that's, you know, that's art. That's what artists do, right? That's yeah. what, that's what uh, avant-garde do. And, you know, that way of thinking is really, um, you know, um, unconventional. You know, it's a punk rock of psychology. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's why it's really cool. You know, if you think about the world where people's behaviors are really influenced by the environmental factors and or primarily, and, you know, I mean, uh-huh. completely am, am influenced by the environmental factors past and present, what kind of story is it going to be, right? Yeah. We are not going to have a character who decides, quote unquote, to fight a monster, right? Because that character is not making that decision in his, you know, in his mind, because, you know, behaviorists say, well, that mind, the thing that you're looking at is actually just an outcome of the environmental influences. Well, if that's the case, how do you write a fiction? Or how do you write, how do you make a story where that is expressed, right? Oh, this, you know, character um, has to fight the monsters where, because, you know, what are those contingencies that shaped, you know, his yeah. behavior to that point, you know, what kind of verbal behaviors were uh, reinforced and extinguished and all that kind of thing comes in. And that, I want to see that, you know, I want to see that type of, um, fiction, which, you know, I try to do it, you know, I'm a writer too. And uh, what I did was, you know, you can actually take any concept in behavior analysis and and do something like that. So what I did was I took a task analysis. Um, Task analysis, you you probably know, you know, but task analysis is really about breaking down a complex behavior into a series of simple um, stimulus response uh, connection, mm-hmm. right? So, like you know, you can uh, do task analysis of uh, washing hand by breaking down. Okay, you walk to the sink, turn on the faucet, wet hand, uh, put the soap on the hand, rub hand five times, and. Uh, put the uh, put the hands under the water, rub five more times, turn off the faucet, um, uh, get the towel, dry dry your hands, right? Turn off the bathroom light, something like that. So that's yeah. a task analysis, right? And you could you could go now, even even more fine in that detail you can go, too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it depends on the need of the individual as to how fine or or how exactly. how zoomed out you could you could be with right. that. So task analysis, yeah. So yeah. anyways, now, now what I did was I took that idea and applied into a Japanese culture, hmm. right? Okay. So what, what does it look like when you apply task analysis to Japanese culture? Well, when you were born, you were born in, um, at a hospital, right? And uh, what what happens is that there is a Shinto um, blessing right mm-hmm. when you're born, 
right? You have a celebration and all that. That is based on Shinto, right? Mm-hmm. Now you get married, you get married at a church, right? That's a typical thing that Japanese do. Now that's a Christian thing, right? Mm-hmm. That happens. And when you die, you die uh, in a Buddhist temple, right? <laughs> so there's a Buddhism going on right there, right? Huh, that, that, you know, and that's kind of like a weird thing that, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't really make sense. Why do you, you know, when you start with a Shinto, marry at a church, and then die at a Buddhist temple? There's no coherence to it, right? But if you apply task analysis, that's really, that's just a sequence of events that happens in Japanese culture. Right. Mm. So if you take out all those philosophical thinking about, uh, you know, different religions and all that, culture is really about task analysis or chain of responses that happens or, you know, throughout your life and throughout the culture. Right. Yeah. And that culture is. It's interesting culture because it doesn't have a central theme. Right. So, so that's my argument about Japanese culture. Japanese culture is uh, doesn't have a central theme, right? Like, a, like an American culture has. American culture is organized based on one thought, which is Christianity, right? For the most part, pretty, pretty typically, it's it's usually yeah. the 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 at the very bare minimum, uh, your your Eurasian uh, style culture. So it focused around. Uh, Judaism, Islam, Christianity—that that, that yeah. kind of that that cradle area that those thoughts mm-hmm. are coming out of—and that there are, even though Islam is definitely lower on the the hierarchical tree when it comes to its influence, it still has an influence. And anybody who understands the history of Europe um, to any depth should understand that Islam has had an amazing positive effect on progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, of knowledge. In fact, one of the oldest universities in the world uh, is a, it, I believe it's in, um, oh, why am I blanking on the name of the country? It was the first country to acknowledge the United States as a country, and it's a Muslim country. Oh, man, brain. I'm so sorry, folks. Um, but that one of the oldest universities in the world is a, um, it was started by and is continued by Muslim scholars. Um, so just that understanding that those in those, yeah. So the central theme is um, the Middle East and in Europe, the religions that came out of that area. So anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, either it's a Christianity or Judaism or Islam, they, their life is uh, pretty coherent. It makes sense. Right. Whereas Japanese culture, it's kind of like a chopped off, like a task analysis. And, but if you can apply task analysis way of thinking, that's kind of like, uh, that's an interesting, um, you can do an interesting analysis of it. And, and that becomes a kind of an art form, right? So whatever that you pick from behavior analytic um, concept, whether it's a task analysis, you know, if you take a task analysis, you say, oh, what does, the, what does this world look like? from a task analytic point of view, or if you take a reinforcement, you know, what does it, you know, you, you had a, Brian, you had a, a podcast on the cult, 
right? Called yeah. leadership, and you know that's like okay, you know what 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 do you what does it look like when you take a reinforcement and kind of like a, enlarge that into that kind of um, uh, world? You can do that in with so many different things in in a behavior analytic concepts, and each each of those can create a a piece of art that yeah. is unique and that is uh, exciting. And I think that's that's what that's what you know I would want to see. <laughs> I would yeah. love to see more and more. Well, and you know. uh, so real quick, sorry, I, uh, I looked it up. Morocco was the country that first acknowledged the United States. So I, I don't uh, I don't beat uh, myself up over that. Thank, thank you, Morocco. <laughs> Morocco, wonderful, wonderful folks. I, I love their culture, but and their food is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I am also a bit of a fiction author too, although I am not yet published. I'm uh, I'm I'm all over the place, so I need to work on that. Um, it's pretty hard. It's, yeah. it's pretty hard to do. But uh, yeah. one of the things that that I love to consider is um, B. F. Skinner's argument that there's no such thing as free will. And mm -hmm. if I could argue with B.S. Skinner, I would argue against that, <laughs> but here's why, <laughs> because I think it depends on your operational definition of what, what is free oh. will. Um, just like, mm -hmm. like we could operationally define uh, ego id and super ego if we wanted to. Like, I think that's a lot of fun. It was, a so I looked up the definitions and I started applying um, current neurological and behavioralic research to it. And I think we can operationally define those ideas, but same thing goes mm. for free will. And with free will, I think it's a little bit easier to define because my argument is that free will is the application of self-management skills. So uh -huh. free will is literally the, the uh, learning how to control your internal environment in relation to your external environment to the point that one self manages. And so like when, when one sees that behavior, uh, that any behavior that an, uh, an organism emits, so any in, in behavior that an individual has is right for them based off of their environment and their setting, and then that individual learns the skills to self-manage, whether they pick those skills up um, through the natural environment or they're taught the skills or a combination of the two. Um, once one starts to apply self-management skills and change their environmental setting, that is the de very definition of free will. Um, and so- Interesting. I, I How would do argue, you apply that to your story? Well, exactly. That's, that's how do you apply that to your story? And that's where relational frame theory comes in because I find that to be incredibly fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like, because the thing that we think is the mind, like some behavior analysts argue the mind doesn't exist, but then other behavior analysts are like, well, maybe the mind is this network of relational networks that we create within ourselves. And so mm -hmm. like, it's the sum of our experiences, but it's more than that. It's the sum of what we take from our experiences is is my brianistic way of of describing it <laughs> my yeah. brianisms yeah. <laughs> but like like yeah. it's what you take from your experiences and and it's like this is what makes up me and so there's a lot of and i and i love the the videos you do of analyzing personality i i saw that you were analyzing some of some of jordan peterson's work for example and uh -huh. and i and i really enjoy um 
his work, although I, I don't agree with the vast majority of it, but I really enjoyed that you were, <laughs> you were exploring that. Um, and, and Jordan Peterson spends a lot of time on personality and, and these sorts of things. And I don't think that the research on personality is invalid. I just think that, like, what if we ask different questions? What if we went into these things? Um, just like where we see other branches of psychology and science are looking for patterns and considering things. It's all about the questions you ask and the data you collect. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't want, I, I, my objective is not to invalidate somebody else, but to rather say, how can we expand our knowledge and our understanding? And, and likewise, same thing goes with fiction because fiction is an expression of knowledge and understanding. So when I'm reading a story where a character is going through these things and it says their ego or their id or their super ego, this, this, that, that is occurring. What I start doing is applying the behavior analytic framework over the top of it. And instead of scoffing at the author and dismissing them, I'm going like, well, what do they mean by that? Oh, okay. That's probably what they mean by that. This stimulus mm -hmm. control was in play and this was happening here and the behavior resulted in this right there. And the, the best authors that I've read and the best creators that I've seen create are the ones who, whether they understand the science behind it or not, understand humanity. And metaphor is very much a, a, a part of our science. We need to understand metaphor helps us understand. And that's where that mm -hmm. relational network comes in. That's where rules govern behavior, verbal behavior all occur. Um, so let's use metaphor to teach. Let's, let's use it. Yeah. And um, so there's a wonderful author out there, Dr. Um, Janina Scarlett, uh, also interviewed her on the Act Natural podcast. Uh, she's creating fiction like the Harry, po Harry Potter therapy, and she has a podcast by the same name. Um, <laughs> and, and superhero therapy and, um, therapy quest, which is basically a choose your own adventure style D and D adventure, uh, mm -hmm. where, where these are, these are taking fiction and ideas of fiction and using them to, to teach therapeutic self-management skills. Right. But, but what happens if we have pure fiction that like you're saying is using these behavior analytic concepts, the self-management skills, and you're not necessarily trying to teach somebody something, but you're just, you're just modeling what, what the yeah, story. I, you know, I, I think what's, what, what's interesting about what you said is that now we use, let's say you, we use ego, super ego, very, um uh, naturally right mm -hmm. that's like a part of our um language and that's actually you know i envy that because there is no behavior analytic terminology that people just use you know maybe reinforcement, reinforcement yeah sometimes wrongly but yeah. but you know <laughs> yeah but uh, we kind of already, everybody sort of understands psychoanalytic terminologies and we can use it. And it's became 
a part of, you know, as you said, humanity, right? Or metaphor. It became like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it kind of created the world of itself. And, uh, <clears throat> and that, and, you know, there are art based on that, like uh, Stream of Consciousness, William James, mm-hmm. um, Faulkner, Virginia Woolf, William, um, uh, what's the Irish um, writer? Um, uh, I forgot the name of the guy who wrote Ulysses. But anyway, the yeah. uh, uh, stream of consciousness method, which is part psychoanalytic, right? Also, um, uh, Kafka and Dali and you know others who went to surrealism which is also inspired by psychoanalytic writing mm-hmm. um that's that became a part of our culture right we we don't have any problem talking about the dreams as a manifestation of our ego or id or super ego that's we understand that very well right and that's because because of art right we we got that you know we got that idea you know everybody talks about it it's it, it became a part of our civilization and that's that has happened to humanistic and existential psychology you know that has happened to some other things but it hasn't happened yet for behaviorism yeah and and, and you know i think it's that now is the time that it can, it has a potential to, to contribute to humanity and possibly change humanity as we know, you know. And uh, I mean, B.F. Skinner tried. I mean, he's the, probably the only person who tried to do that um, effectively. Uh, you know, he had a world and two, um, novel, he had that, you know, he was um, uh, in the media a lot, he was, you know, featured in Times and all that, so he had his time, but since then, it, not as extensive, I mean, there are people who are still doing it, but in well, terms of art. There's definitely people who are applying behavior analytic principles um, in, in self-help and, mm. and popular popular psychology like i believe the the book atomic habits um Uh is very heavily in behaviorism um another book that i really enjoy called change anything takes a i think it's positive psychology slash uh social psychology approach to behavior change but it's it it's 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 incredibly behavior analytic book for not being a behavior analytic book. <laughs> it, it's it's really well it's really well written. I highly recommend it. It's a fun read, um, especially if you look at it through the lens of behavior analysis, um, and and uh, environmental change. Um, but the the point being, like these ideas are are gaining momentum. And, mm-hmm. and ideas within our societies are gaining momentum too, uh, looking, at, looking towards rehabilitation over punishment uh, or, or pu- um, punishment, not in the behavior analytic term, rather making someone pay for something they did wrong. And instead looking towards the, let's rehabilitate, let's, let's make sure that their things have been changed in that regard. Um, and in some respects, not all, social justice is working on ideas like that. Um, 
gets good and bad depending on the individual and, and their their worldview. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Like, but but that influences what we're talking about. What we're talking about being that, like, how does fiction change? Uh, reflect behavior analysis and how is behavior analysis or behaviorism rather radical behaviorism um, using art to mm -hmm. to model to teach to to help people to see that well yeah sure you you you're you're a victim of uh, or or you're influenced by your environment but once you're aware of this what can you do to change it and and that's that's incredibly empowering Yes, yes, there's a dark side that somebody could use this to cause harm and and do. Um, the the closest thing in reality to what was described in Clockwork Orange, the book and the movie, um, is conversion therapy, which is definitely a dark side of behavior analysis. And as of the recording of this podcast, there's an initiative in ABAI uh, to adopt a an official um condemning of and and saying that conversion therapy is not okay so on and so forth and yes it's 2021 and why did it take this long for us to get to that point and and also why are we voting on it like it's it's a kind of a no duh but the, but the point being like it's it's moving forward we're changing the way we're approaching things um as a science and like with any culture culture changes over time and hopefully in a positive way, um, always hopefully, but, but the point being like fiction influences and uh, fiction makes a difference. So I guess this is kind of a call to action for anybody who's listening, if you're into fiction. And that's and, what I'm there, that's what I advocate. Let's, <laughs> let's create. It, you know, I think uh, two parts to it. It's really, you know, I, um, one of our, um, friends on Facebook in um, creatives of BA, mm -hmm. uh, Natalie. Um, you know, she, she has, uh, I think, I, I think, I hope I'm getting her name right. <laughs> uh, but she has the, she, she's starting. What's, in, what's exciting about it is that she's starting the program to teach kids do the art, um, like Natasha, sorry, Natasha, can pronounce her name, last name, so nicely, Bochelon, I can't read, sorry, <laughs> sorry for my English, but um, what's interesting, I, what's exciting about that, it looks like that we, you know, you are including art making in ABA practice, which is like a big, big plus, um, and and that made that that made me thinking like you know we do engage in art you know you don't have to be an artist to do art you know writing painting sculpture um, anything like YouTubing you know podcasting you don't have to be um, pro right and so I I you know love to see everybody doing it. And at the same time, it's kind of hard because, you know, it's really hard to maintain art making behavior because you have so many other things going on in your life. And 
you know, so that's that's something also a very behavior analytic thing. Like, you know, what are those positive reinforcements that can sustain art making behavior, right? And uh, so I do want everybody to pick up on this task, enjoy art, find reinforcement, and uh, continue doing it. And oh, what you got? I want to I want to show something because uh, show something to show because the the you can't see it because I'm I, I don't usually publish the video but I, I will probably take a picture and post it. Um, this is oh, wow, uh, this is a dragon. Uh, I'm a very yeah. I'm very nerdy. <laughs> this started wow. out as a as white. Did you paint it or did you sculpt? Did you? I, I didn't like... sculpt it, but I painted uh -huh. it. Uh, so this is made oh, by wow. a company called Reaper Mini. Uh, mm. They make miniatures for Dungeons and Dragons and they have their own little game system and stuff too. But um, this dragon, just so you folks know, and again, I'll post a picture of it so that you can, you can see it. But um, I, I got a hold of a bunch of these miniatures and a friend was teaching me how to paint miniatures and, and, I, and I have way too many miniatures for my own good and I need to get back into painting them because it's very enjoyable, relaxing. But um, the, the idea behind this particular miniature is I wanted to paint a dragon that would fit in, an, in, in its environment. So I was asking the questions from a very behavior analytics slash evolutionary, <laughs> evolutionary cool. perspective. And so I was like, I wanna do a desert dragon. And so I, I looked up desert animals and I saw a very consistent color theme. And, mm. and so what I did is I, I learned the skill of how to paint and shadow and lighting and, and all these other things. Um, maybe that lighting will help a little bit for pointing out the details. Wow, um, that's awesome. But, but, the, but the premise being, um, you can be creative and be a scientist. I, 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 I get really frustrated when I see people saying, well, you know, you're just too analytic to be creative. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, let's create. Like, uh, I, I, I know I don't talk about it a whole lot, but I, uh, I, I write poetry. I write fiction. Um, I'm working on uh, writing a book series, ho hopefully one day. I'm, I'm writing um, another book uh, that is teaching act from a perspective of, uh, from a fictional perspective, kind of a modern day screw tape letters that I'm uh, hopefully will finish one of these days and publish. Um, but, but the idea being like, create that's one of the most human things you can do be creative and, and explore and understand and, and and not understand just just enjoy exploring but we can teach ideas about behaviorism and we can increase our understanding of the world around us while also just enjoying the beauty of it yeah definitely yeah i think there, there's no difference between being creative and being analytic. I think they're all, they're the same set of skills. People, you know, try to separate them out, but it's really, you know, being, you gotta be analytic to be creative and you gotta be creative to be analytic because otherwise, where are you gonna go, you know? And, and Skinner also talks about art of shaping. You know, shaping is an art Right, and uh, creativity itself is reinforcement. So, 
yeah, I mean, you know, it is really something reinforcing in your life. Even if you don't become like a good, become uh, like a big, you know, popular artist, doesn't have to be. That's the goal, you know. Yeah. So. Although yeah, I wouldn't mind being a popular fiction author. That would be nice. That's our dream. Yeah, <laughs> I, dream, I always dream about it. You know, which is kind of interesting, right? Because if you think about it, I've never get I such a thin schedule of reinforcement to become a you know a author of a popular fiction. But so many people are making so much responses to it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's not even variable like ratio schedule because you never got a reinforce to it to begin with, which is interesting, you know. Um, a little analysis of behavior. Well, what if it's what if what's going on there is that it's this is where the relational frame component comes in, where basically it rules governed. No, hold on a second they pair experiencing fiction with reinforcement of reading, viewing, that sort of thing. And so because they pair that with reinforcement, they also want to add to the, uh, to the creation of, hmm. this will take a lot of, this will take a lot of thinking. They're, so you're saying that reinforcement that happened while reading a fiction Mm -hmm. is maintaining fiction writing behavior yeah so that's what you're saying which yeah i don't know that's an interesting um that's an interesting thought can can a reinforcement of one theme also affect the behavior of another related enterprise that's so a scientific question Stimulus, so it would be stimulus A to stimulus B, which is stimulus A is the act of reading going to stimulus B, which is the type of material that's being read, and connecting that with stimulus C of creating your own stories as elicited by stimulus A and B, and then that creating of your own stories, wanting to be able to express those stories in writing, leading back to creating your own fiction. Hmm. That's an interesting way of thinking. Yeah. 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 Well, that can be in its own, you know, thing to do. <laughs> there, there's a lot that could go on here. And this is that that's the beauty yeah. about this. Is like I yeah. uh, well and and that's something that that fascinates my wife. She is she's an even greater creator than I am, um, and she is finishing up her training. Uh, she's finishing up her master's in behavior analysis. Awesome. Uh, so, so, so we're super nerdy in this household, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 her passion is storytelling. Um, she loves storytelling, and she is a beautifully rounded storyteller. Um, wow. She she is. Uh, she she's been, worked as a professional seamstress. She has a a, a bachelor's degree in theater. Um, so she's when it comes to storytelling, she has a lot of lot more uh, training in that sort of thing. And, and a lot of her ideas that we talk back and forth about um, are are just fantastic. And 
and one of the things that that we want to explore um, is like what behaviors elicit creation and how do creative storytelling things influence behavior yeah. uh, and, and back and forth. And, and we have a little bit of exploration of that, like into social stories and, and video models mm-hmm. and things like that. But we're moving more and more into a future where automation takes care of some, a lot of the things that we really have struggled in, in past history to do like the, the, the day-to-day living things that were necessary for us to be able to even survive um, are starting to be handled more by automation. And there's some sustainability issues with that, that we need to also ask and, and try to address. But the flip side is if we can be sustainable in, in, in that sort of thing, then the future is a lot easier for human life to be able to continue. Um, and, and so that, that asks the question of, okay, so what do we do with ourselves? And there's, there's some research and other branches of psychology that are showing that if we don't have anything to do with ourselves, that that might be where we're starting to see an increase, not, not to say that this is the only reason why we have mental health issues, but it could be a contributing factor to an increase that we're seeing in, in mental health issues. And it's like, well, where does, where does meaning come from? What do we do? Like, as my friend Bob would say, depression is a symptom of civilization. Not always, obviously, but like, so this is where creativity comes in and understanding of creativity and how we can find meaning. And you know, one of the, one of the stories I hate more than anything else that's told in our, uh, in most civilizations, not all, is the story of the tortured artist. That somehow you have to be a tortured artist to be able to be creative. And <laughs> starving I'm just like, artist, yeah. Yeah, starving artist. <laughs> I'm just like, why, what, huh? No, I know so many people who are amazing creators and they're not starving nor tortured. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do know many artists who are also, but I think that that's because they're telling themselves the story of that. Um, I, and there's some that are, I've seen go through the process of being that starving tortured artist person. And then they've come out the other side and, and, and discovered, uh, discovered that they don't have to suffer in order to be a creator. (laughs) So, and I want to challenge these ideas. I want to be able to help people tap into their creativity and understand the world better. Yeah. I I got a little ranty there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they uh, deprive themselves of all the luxurious entertainment in order to increase the probability of making behavior. It's one way of th- seeing it, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, like we we never teach kids to be to deprive themselves of engaging art behavior. Like that's not what we're gonna, <laughs> we don't do it, right? We, we, let's say if you have a kid, you don't teach them, oh, you have to be miserable to make a painting. Like, no, no, we are never gonna say that. We say, you know, painting is cool and exciting and yeah, let's do it together. It's gonna be fun, mm-hmm. you know, and, and gradually shape that behavior into 
uh, more more refined form and more more enjoyable form. And you know, I think that's that's what's happening in sports too. Like you know, it used to be that the sports world has to be really hard, and you know, you have to make a lot of sacrifice. Nowadays. That doesn't happen, you know. That's not the way to go. You really want to uh, develop an athletic skill based on reinforcement, and I think we can apply that to ourselves too. You know, <laughs> we can apply reinforcement instead of punishment and deprivation yeah. to reinforce our artistic behavior little by little, and just just to enjoy that you know that that's probably the way to go yeah well and i guess there's uh from a behavior analytic definition there is going to be punishment in that that behavior is decreased but we want that behavior that punishment to occur naturally as opposed to being applied (laughs) like you know if somebody tries a particular art style out and in their opinion it fails then they aren't going to do that just like with my painting that I've done, I've learned that certain applications of paint don't create the outcome that I want. And so the consequence of that application of painting is I don't use that skit, that, that method anymore. Um, well, whereas other outcomes of using certain types of paints like dry brushing and um, pre-painting, uh, undercoat painting, those sorts of things, uh, which is a fun little cheat way of getting shadows, by the way, is, is a, to create a, put a dark undercoat and then paint the lights on top of it. Um, and some of that was due to some training I received as a, as a teenager in, in high school level courses, but some of it was also just experimentation that reinforced those behaviors. So when I do do miniature painting or, or painting of other things, I, I now through operant contingencies have learned that if I'm going for this consequence, I want this. And oh, I try something new out, didn't get what I wanted. Okay, that behavior has been punished because the outcome is not what I wanted, right? That behavior decreases. And yeah, yeah. same thing goes for you know writings, for, for lyrics creation, for music learning, uh, um, playing, playing music and instruments, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm... I write a lot of poetry uh, and, and I, and I share it with a select group of people um, and I, and I get feedback and that feedback gives me correction. Although I I don't, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't really call it correction, but at the same time, from a behavior analytic perspective, it is correction, which is a form of punishment. Uh, And so I change my behavior. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it can be a prompt. Yeah, it can be a prompt too. <laughs> That's true, They're valid. Uh, and it can also be a reinforcement. Um, and and like, so I was a part of a creative writing group where we we practiced when, when somebody is giving feedback to us about our writing that we not pipe up and defend. So we, we sit with the feeling and we listen to the rest of what they had to say. And that resulted in massive improvement on my writing skills and it was the writers group unfortunately only lasted like three months but that three months worth of meeting once a week and sharing the writing that we did 
created some amazing stuff. And I, I kind of want to get, create those conditions again, because I want to write more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and like, how do you alter your environment to make it so that you create and how do you create in a way that alters your environment? Definitely. Definitely. That's, that speaks to the self-control. You know, I think, you know, YouTube is also very, you know, one thing I like about, and at the same time, it makes me anxious about, about YouTube is, is that it, the feedback is really quick, you know, mm. the number of views. Um, and YouTube gives all the metrics about like, you know, how many subscribers I have, how many people watch the videos, how many people stayed on the video until the end, you know, and, you know, people, you, people always uh, make a comments, you know, likes and dislikes and all that, those things are like right there in front of you. <laughs> so like, you know, every time I post a video, it, it's like, uh, it's now rocking because you gotta, you kind of like, um, you know, how does this go? And at the same time, like, you know, what are the videos that may um, get well-received and what are the videos that are not so popular, right? So like those feedback are real, like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a natural contingencies of art making. And, you know, writing is even harder, right? You know, I write short stories and I try to, you know, I submit it to many, many uh, journals, like literature, literary journals and, hmm. uh, you know, and pretty much 99% of the time I get rejected without much of a feedback and that's hard. You know, that's really hard. Um, scientific writing too, you know, you, you write and then you, if you are lucky, you get um, um, review from the uh, reviewers and that hurts most of the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, so like that's, that's a natural contingency of, uh, you know, of natural environment. And that, that makes you a bit better artist too. Yeah. Uh, but but you know I, I don't think it's something that that should be discouraging from um, making art in itself so that's the you know yeah 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 so but I think it, I think there is a tremendous potential for behaviorism behavior analysis and you know beyond to 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 make something exciting yeah and uh if any i guess if the big takeaway is for our guests what what would be the one thing that you would one message or takeaway that you would have for our, our guests on this podcast what is the thing that you would what's your call to action show well um after watching, after listening to this podcast, make one response that's related to art. Right? All right, folks. That's the, that's the start. Go, go create. Go, go make yeah. something. This is your homework. <laughs> yeah, that will that will enrich your life. And 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 share it or don't. It's up to you. Uh -huh. But the, yeah. the 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 important thing is to to create. Um, yeah. I, I want, I feel the desire to share some creative resources for people because I, I, I think this is going to also help, um, in, in, the, um, 
in getting people to create because it, it can be discouraging, especially if you're starting from somewhere and you're not feeling like you, you're consistently creating. So I want to share some resources that I'm aware of. Um, and when I post this podcast, please, I encourage anybody and everybody on the social media platforms and, and whatnot to comment and share any resources they have. Um, but uh, one, so there, here's a few. Uh, another podcast is called Writing Excuses. Um, the, the cast of the podcast changes over time, but it's predominant, it's created by Brandon Sanderson, who, um, is one of my favorite fiction authors, and he is a master at writing, um, very skilled, does a wonderful job of writing characters, both male and female, um, has a lot of wonderful understanding of, of consequences and people. Um, if you haven't had a chance to try any of his work out, he, um, he's written several popular fiction bestsellers, um, and he also uh, finished writing the Wheel of Time series for, uh, for um, Robert Jordan after he passed away. He was sought out by the, the Robert Jordan estate and uh, was given the responsibility. And, and frankly, and I know this sounds a little bit blasphemous for those of you who love Wheel of Time, he did a better job than Robert Jordan did. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a really good writer. Um, so writing excuses uh, and their tagline is 15 minutes or less because um, you don't have that much time and we're not that smart. So check them out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, I also recommend the book Save the Cat. Um, there's uh, one for script writing and there's also one for novel writing. Um, that, that one does a really good job of, of analyzing good story and coming up with what are called story beats. The original creator of that um, heavily influenced uh, the, uh, uh, cinematic productions. So that was, that's a really good resource. Um, and if you're having a hard time getting into writing itself, um, the Miracle Morning for Writers is a really good um, book for for starting analysis and, and offering some ideas so definitely recommend checking that out as well um but yeah the long and short of it is go create if you want to write write if you want to if you want to paint or, or sculpt or or draw do it yeah um and and while you're at it check out and subscribe to show's youtube channel it's, oh yeah, please. It's underneath. <laughs> uh, so here's how you spell it again. It's S H O. That's his first name, and last name is A R A I B A. Um, check out his stuff. It's fantastic, and it and you're and you're doing a wonderful job of contributing to creation. Um, Thank you so much. And and I would love to uh, I would love to see more. Um, I I know I was able to watch most of your uh, your analysis of Queen's Gambit as well. That was that was wonderful. Well, yeah. um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I, I was just going to wrap it up if that's okay with you. Uh, yeah, sure. Folks, remember that the Obehave podcast is an open source education material, meaning that all or part of it can be used towards continuing education and furthering ideas and behavior analysis in the world around us. Uh, you can cut, reuse, Towards that purpose, just remember. Thank you very much.